0: serve a good God. And we're going to take some time and I'm going to read some declarations that have been written over you, over this beautiful family and this house, this church. And I want you to lean in wherever you are and begin just to agree in your words as I begin to read out this declaration. It says, we decree and declare that by you we run through troops and leap over walls. You are our God, the God who girds us with strengths and makes our way perfect. It is you who makes our feet like hinds feet, giving us stability so that we can stand firmly and progress on the dangerous heights of testing and trouble. You teach our hands to war and our fingers to fight, granting us supernatural strength and abilities so that our arms can break a bow of steel. You are our rock, our shield, and our strong tower. Your right hand establishes us as victors in battle. We war for the releasing of finances and resources that belong to our city and its people. We declare declare every resource necessary for us to fulfill God's original plans and purposes will come to us without delay. It is you who has blessed us. It is you that empowers us. It is not by our might or power, but by the spirit of the Lord. For when the enemy shall come in like a flood, your spirit lifts up a standard against him. We lift false burdens and remove feelings of heaviness, oppression, and depression. We put halt to the destructive and disturbing measures. For this reason was the Son of God made a manifest, that he would destroy the works of the enemy. Father, every declaration and prayer, we proclaim it in the mighty name of Jesus. It is in your mighty name we pray. Amen, 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 and amen.
1: stay
2: Like Whoa.
3: Welcome to First Wednesday. We are so glad that you are here. Now, this is your first time here. You have come to a generous church, and we love what the Bible says about generosity. You see, when the Israelites, when they were giving their sacrifices to God, what, what God would ask for them is to give their first and their best. And when we read it, it's very easy to gloss over, but they would literally blood, sweat, and tears in the soil to grow their crops. I mean, you and I, we go to the farmer's market, we go to Aldi's, we go to Wegmans, but they were growing their crops. And God would say, I want your first, and I want your best. And now for you and I today, God is saying the exact same thing. He wants our first, and he wants our best. And we are a generous church. We wanna thank you for the generosity that you've shown over the last few months to allow ministry to happen here in Rochester, and we want to challenge you to continue with your generosity. If you've never given before, we have many ways for you to take that step. You can text to give. You can use Apple Pay, Google Pay. We have a thing called Push Pay, and that allows you to set up recurring giving, which makes the habit of living a generous life very easy. It actually gives automatic uh, giving. It's an incredible way to do it. That's what my family and I do. We want to challenge you today to live generous lives. So let's pray together, and we're going to continue with our service. So God, We thank you that you've called us to give our first and our best. So God, we choose today to do it with glad and sincere hearts. God, we thank you that the money that's given today, you're going to use to build your church in Rochester. We are so grateful that we at the Father's House get to be a part of it. In Jesus' name, amen.
4: Hey, it's July the 1st. Can you believe it? What a year this has been. Welcome to First Wednesday, everybody. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for making gathering together a high priority. Listen, I said it on Sunday. There is nothing like the family table. Every time we come into the building here in Greece with our uh, worship teams and tech teams, I cannot tell you the smell, the feeling, just the excitement. And I I, I keep telling myself this every morning, "One one day closer, one day closer, one day closer, one day closer. But tonight, I have a very special, she's not a guest, she's family. Nicole Doyle has been with us on staff and has been such a trusted voice, such a trusted family. Listen, I said it on Sunday. The Father's House is one of the most unique, most incredible spiritual families for me ever. I've traveled a lot. What makes us so amazing, and I know other churches are the same, but I'm biased, is the beauty of culture, race, diversity, customs. Man, one of the best recipes I got was Jamaican jerk chicken from someone. The spices cost me $32, just the spices. When I ate it, I felt I was gonna see Jesus. My tongue left my mouth, and in that moment, while tears are streaming down my face, I love Jamaica so much. Why? Because God is the God of diversity and beauty. Yet, as a church family, image bearers of God, people that have been made alive by God, we have an unprecedented uh, opportunity to stand together with each other's humanity, to fight against the sin of racism, fighting against the sin of diminishing the value of people and, 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 and just stand together wherever the image of God is made less because of cultural and color and tongue and race and language differences, the answer is absolutely no. We believe in a world where everybody that's made in the image of God can be equally safe, find equal value and equal opportunity And I know your mind's firing right now, but you see, I believe this is the season where out of a place of seeking to sit around small tables and listening to stories, realizing people's stories are valid and they can be trusted and believed, so is your stories. We all come with biases. We all come with a precondition of our humanity. Yet when we seek to understand before we seek to be understood, Sometimes maybe we would not post things on Facebook that would hurt the family members of God because God has given us a voice and I read it on Sunday. Righteousness and, just, and just, justice stands before God's throne, but kindness and mercy walks in front of it. And may this message that Nicole's gonna share, very timely message, may it challenge you, may in some places, may it stir up, um, not anger, but agitation. Because you see, I think in me and in you, there's many things that needs to be uprooted that is unseen. But it's okay. Let us be curious. Let us be loving. Let us never leave the table because of anything, because we are bound by the power of being sons and daughters of God. So Father, we pray. As Nicole is prepared and prayed and speaking your loving kindness and grace with truth, compassion, empathy. Father, may there be such a beautiful echoing of truth and understanding as we grow together as your family to stand up for all creation made in the image of our God. Thank you for giving us attentive hearts in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Nicole. Amen,
5: amen. Well, Pastor Pierre, I feel like you just preached my message, so I think we could all go home. (laughs) No, it's good to be here. It's good to be back with family. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, In 1955, a 14-year-old black boy left his home in Chicago to spend the summer with his uncle and cousins in Mississippi. And shortly after he arrived, a white woman accused him of grabbing her and catcalling her. And later that night, the woman's husband and brother came to the uncle's house and dragged this 14-year-old boy out of the house. And they tortured him, and they stripped him naked And they tied a 75-pound weight around him using barbed wire. And they threw him in a river. Three days later, his body was recovered. And the uncle was going to simply bury him then and there so that his mother wouldn't have to see him. And his mother said, no, send my boy to me. And so they made arrangements to send Emmett Till's body to his mother in Chicago. And at the funeral, she insisted that it be an open casket funeral. Because she said, I want the world to see what racism did to my boy. And at that funeral, a magazine, a black magazine, called Jet Magazine. Wave at me from your couches if you remember Jet Magazine. I remember them splayed across my grandparents' coffee table. But Jet Magazine was there, and they took a picture of Emmett Till's body. And soon that picture was spread to every major media outlet. And that picture was published for the nation to see and many nations of the world to see. 100 days later, a 42-year-old black woman got on a bus in Montgomery, Alabama. And she sat down in the colored section of the bus And a white man got on and demanded that she get up because there were no more seats on the bus. And she remembered that picture of Emmett Till. And she remembered the fact that his murderers were never indicted, even though the woman said, admitted that it was all a lie. And that picture gave that woman named Rosa Parks the courage to say no. I'm not getting up. And what happened next, most of us know she was arrested for breaking the laws of segregation. And that picture and that courage of Rosa Parks sparked the civil rights movement. It sparked the largest movement in the history of that country because of a picture. It was, as Malcolm Gladwell says, a tipping point in our nation. If we remember when we were allowed to go to water parks and we would stand under that big barrel of water and the water would drip in. And we're clenching and waiting for that barrel to tip over, to reach the tipping point, and it would drench all of us. That's what a tipping point was. And that's what that picture of Emmett Till was, was the final drop in the bucket that caused it to tip. And I believe in this country we've reached another tipping point. We've been locked in our houses for over three months. Over 100,000 Americans have died. Over 30 million Americans are unemployed. And then one day we woke up and we saw a picture. And it was a picture of Ahmaud Arbery, a 25-year-old jogger who was hunted down by three men and shot in the middle of the street in the middle of the day like a dog. And we found out that that happened 75 days previously and the district attorney and the the sheriff and all who heard the story determined that those men had acted justly and nothing had been done. until. We saw a picture. And as our hearts begin to heal, and and we're relieved because of that picture and that video, and finally those three men are being brought to trial, and there might be justice for Ahmad. And as we're finally catching our breath, we wake up another morning and we see a picture. And it was a picture of Derek Chauvin's knee on a man's neck. And he had the audacity to cavalierly tuck his hand into his pocket while he was snuffing the life out of a man. And those pictures, followed by another picture of Brianna Taylor, a 26-year-old EMT who was shot in her bed for no reason at all. And those pictures have catalyzed another tipping point in our country. And millions of people all over the world are saying enough is enough. Black people are more likely to be stopped, they're more likely to be incarcerated, and they're more likely to be shot for the same things that white people do or for no reason at all. And no one is saying that police officers are bad people. No one is saying they shouldn't be applauded for the bravery and courage for laying their lives down to help to keep us safe. But what what you're saying is that even good people can be part of systems that need to be reformed. And my question tonight is, should we care? Should Christians care? should Christ followers care? And my answer is, we should care more than anybody else. Because foundational to our faith, if we call ourselves born-again Christians, foundational to our faith is the belief that we have been created in the image of God. Foundational to our faith is the belief that we are more than smart animals, that the God of the universe breathed his breath into us, that he knit us together in our mother's wombs whether our parents planned us or not, that we existed in the mind of God before the creation of time, that we are special, no matter who we are. No matter what color we are, we are special. That we are, as what, what David said in Psalm 8, crowned with glory and honor, that God made us a little lower than the angels, that God created us for his pleasure to walk with us in the cool of the day. Animals don't get to do that. People do. And so when we see an image bearer strangled to death in the middle of the day for no no reason at all that should fill our hearts more than anybody else with sorrow and indignation. And the second reason why we should care Is that if we believe that we have been created in God's image, therefore we believe that as image bearers, we should be treated equally with dignity and fairness. And Jesus modeled this, he treated the promiscuous Samaritan in the uh, Samaritan woman at the well with dignity. He treated the adulteress with dignity. He treated the unclean leper with dignity. He taught his apostles to treat the Gentiles, whom they considered to be dogs, with dignity. And this is why, from the very beginning of the church, it has been Christians who have treated people with dignity when no one else did. When the Romans um, abandoned children and babies to be killed and ex- by exposure, it was Christians who came and scooped them up and adopted them. It was Christians who, who led reform in orphanages and prisons because they said that orphans and prisoners are created in God's image and should be cre- treated with dignity. It was Christians who led the abolitionist movement as they saw four million image bearers shackled and bred like cattle. It was Christians that said, this has to stop. And so you have William Wilberforce, and Charles Spurgeon, and Charles Finney, and Harriet Beecher Stowe, and Frederick Douglass, all Christians. who who traveled around the world speaking and wrote novels and wrote letters and William Wilberforce, a member of parliament, didn't stop until legislation was passed. They put their lives on the line demanding that these people be released from their shackles. And then a hundred years later, It was a Christian, a Southern Baptist preacher named Dr. Martin Luther King, who saw that millions of people were denied basic rights, that the attitude of this country was, you're here towards black people. You're here. We don't want you here, so stay over there. And so they weren't allowed to eat. We don't want you to eat where we eat. We don't want you to live where we live. We don't want you to go to church where we go to church. We don't want you to swim where we swim. We don't want you to drink where we drink. We don't want you to sit where we sit. We don't want you they said to millions of Americans. And this was unconstitutional, and it was certainly unbiblical. And so it was a Christian who led the largest movement that has ever hit this country, and he was inspired by Matthew 5, 38, that says, when your enemy strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. And that's why his followers sat beneath billy clubs, being, being beaten by billy clubs on their heads and being bitten by dogs and being bowled over by hoses. That's why his followers took it without retaliation because they were Christians and today in the body of Christ we have an opportunity to show the world that we care we have the, uh, the we have the opportunity to show the world that we care. And not all of us are going to get out into the streets and protest. Some of us are. And some of us are writing letters. And some of us are demanding change. But there are two things that all of us should do. Well, I said the first one. The first one is that we should care: that we, in this church and in the church wider church, are part of the same family, and as human beings, we're part of the same human family. And so what do you do when your sis- God forbid, your sister calls you and says, "I just went to the doctor, and, and I think it's not good." You care because she's in your family and what do you do if your brother calls and says my son was just in an accident and he's okay but he's really banged up what do you do you care because he's in your family and so what do you do when the people that you serve with come in barely able to hold back tears because they're thinking about their sons you care a few weeks ago a a good friend of mine named Susan she's a white friend she came over and we decided we were sick of Zooming and FaceTiming and we just wanted to see each other. So we came over and we sat on our porch, dutifully six feet away from each other, and we caught up and we compared notes and we decided that we hate homeschooling. (laughs) I know some of you are homeschoolers. God bless you. It's not my jam. (laughs) And we caught up on our families and everything. And then she looked at me and she said, how are you? And I knew that she was asking me how I am with what's going on in the news. And I said to her, here's the hard thing. As this is happening, my sons are growing up. They want to go farther on their bikes. They want to walk to their friends' houses by themselves. I don't have girls, maybe it's the same as girls, but I do know with boys, there's something about giving them their freedom and independence and letting them feel the wind beneath their wings. It makes them feel good and it helps them to become men. I know that it's important to let out the rope and let them go farther. And as I'm dealing with this reality as a mother, I see pictures. And I, and I told her about a conversation we had with one of our sons and we said, if you're ever out on your bike, And a a police officer stops you and says, you know, what are you doing here, where do you live? Resist the temptation of reaching in your pocket for your phone, because in that moment you might feel afraid, and your instinct might be to call me, but don't do it. Keep your hands where the officer can see them. And she burst into tears. And she said, I am so sorry. She said, as mothers, we have to deal with so much. And we worry about everything with our children. And you have a layer of worry that I will never have. And I'm so sorry. It's so Unfair. And then, after we had both cried big and used our shirts for Kleenex, it was really an ugly scene on the porch. She turned and looked at me and she said, I will pray for your family all the days of my life. She cared and the second thing that we should all do is diversify our dinner tables because if, if you and I and I am talking to my white and my black brothers and sisters. If barbecue, when we're able to do barbecues, if barbecue after barbecue you look around you and everyone is the same color as you, I am convinced that we will never grow up as people and we will never mature as the body of Christ. Because it's as we sit and we talk with people who are different from us that our understanding expands and our compassion expands and our sympathy expands and our empathy expands. And maybe we don't change all of our opinions, but our opinions don't, are no longer sharp edges, they're softened edges. And our opinions are more humble and they're softer just by having different people around our dinner table. And a a large portion of this country is still heavily segregated. There are three blacks, there were three black students in my son's class. And we don't have time tonight to talk about it, but that happened by design. With, through redlining and other things like that. So we have an inherited a largely segregated America. But in this church, you do not serve on any team where everybody is like you. So if when you're planning your 4th of July barbecue and your Thanksgiving dinner... What about stepping out and doing it afraid? And instead of asking the people that you're so comfortable with and you're so free with and so easy with, the same old people who think just like you, what about inviting that person of color with whom you serve? Diversify your dinner table. And when you have them over, don't look past their color. My color is part of my story. The fact that I'm biracial, that my father grew up in Harlem and my mother grew up in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania and they met and they married when it was illegal for them to do so and half of the nation and, that, and they got, received death threats, and that's why they moved to New York City because they felt safer there. That's part of my story. Don't look past my brown color. It's how God made me. Color blindness is not scriptural. God created color. And we're all going to be worshiping together soon here on Sunday, (laughs) but ultimately for eternity before the throne of the Lamb. Every tongue and tribe and nation worshiping equally before the Son of the Lamb. What a wonderful thing that we get to practice now. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this church. I thank you that we get to high five and touch elbows and someday hug people who are so different from us. And I pray that we would take advantage of that. We would not be satisfied with shallow conversation, but that after a while we would say, what are you doing on Friday night? You wanna come over with your family? And that we would have the courage to go and then the courage to return the invitation. I, I pray that every bit of racism and prejudice that might be in this body would be uprooted, that we would be filled with humility and with repentance and with love towards one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, Nicole, we're
4: breaking social distancing right now. You've got to take my hand. We will... will, uh, Take a whole bottle of sanitizer afterwards. <laughs> I want to thank you for that message. I want you to know I deeply value you and everyone you stand for deeply love. I want you to know that it's not a place of superiority, but it's a place of serving, loving, because our desire, my desire, your desire is that Your sons can be as free as my sons and that we can stand. And I want to encourage you. May God sharpen your voice with meekness. May he sharpen you. This is an assignment on your life. Know that the gospel has come to be an offense to awaken because the Bible says in the last days, people will have appeasing ears. May God give us agitated ears with curious hearts and may you me and everybody else in this house stand undisturbed by people's opinion and may we leave our mark of the resurrected christ in us and we will leave this world better so may god bless you keep you know that you are loved you are supported i know i'm loved from your family and this church and no matter what it's uh, stirred up in anybody unafraid of that because it's in the stirring where we grow towards the stories because every story has a name and we're going to continue to hear those stories. If it wasn't, I would have hugged you, but this is as close as we're going to get without getting any comments and we're going to go safeguard our hands. So we're going to go into one last song, but thank you for that message. May we continue to grow in grace and strength one for another.
6: church family we're going to participate in communion together so maybe you already got that bread that cracker that juice that wine if you didn't rush over to the refrigerator the pantry grab it real quick maybe gather your kids in they're in your home get next to your spouse or roommates so we're gonna we're gonna take communion together as a bold declaration that you and I are created in the image of Christ, and that we have been ransomed, united by his body and his blood. So wherever you are, I want you to take that cracker, that bread, I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna partake as a declaration that we are unified under this. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent heaven's best to be broken, sacrificed, betrayed, humiliated, scorned so that we could be forgiven, free, and made whole. God, not just we as individuals, but we as humanity all those made in the image of your Son, Jesus. We are made whole. We are made family by the broken body of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Church, when you're ready, I want you to partake wherever you are. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. As you hold that wine or that juice in your hand, Jesus was reclined at the table after dinner with his friends, and his friends had troubled backgrounds and came from all different places marginalized, mainstream, accepted and unaccepted, all sat around that table. And after dinner, Jesus took the cup and he blessed it. And he gave it to each and every one of them. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, the agreement between heaven and humans, between God and his children that we're reconciled to our Heavenly Father, every single one of us. Not by our works, not by our skin tone, not by our heritage, but we are united together by one blood. One Lord, one baptism, one Savior, His name is Jesus. And all across this city, our nation, in this world, we make this bold, declaration in defiance of racism tyranny and all things that have come before that have devised us have divided us have separated us right where you are would you make this bold declaration would you join me in prayer and partaking of the blood and the body of Christ that we would never be separated but only joined together. So Jesus, we thank you. We prophesy and declare unity, love, humility, justice. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the sacrificial lamb. God, that we would be willing to lay down our lives for our brothers, our sisters, our fathers, our mothers, lord that we are reconciled to you for justice for your kingdom come and your will be done in jesus name we partake amen and amen and amen
2: and their children and their children may His presence be upon you and a thousand generations and your families and your children and your children and your children may His presence be upon you
6: We're so grateful that we got to be together tonight. Thank you, thank you, thank you for what we get to do as a family. We're so excited to see you on Sunday as we continue to grow as a family in unity. Can't wait to see you then. See you Sunday.